This is Super House episode 28, part one of two. If you listen to part one, the secret code to the official Super House decoder ring can be found at the end of part two. Tune in. Welcome to Superhouse 28, everybody. This is Andrew from Los Angeles. Uh, somebody start. Oh, we actually have uh, our senior Batman correspondent with us once again, Ben Yip. Say hi, Ben. Hey, guys. Hey, awesome. Joey from L.A. This is James from L.A. Matt from Riga. This is Stefan from Denver. I think we're getting better at this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have a few things on the docket, but uh, we wanted to just get started off with uh, <clears throat> Killing Joke. Not the comic book, but the animated feature that just came out from DC, of course. Uh, ben, can you uh, uh, let us know your thoughts on this one? By the way, spoilers, if you haven't read the comic or whatever, are going to happen. So, Yeah, I kind of feel like if you're listening to this, you've already have been reading it or seen the movie. Right. For me... The Killing Joke comic book, I'll preface this, the Killing Joke comic book is honestly not my favorite Joker story. If you were to tell me, like, hey, like, I want to get more into comics, give me some Joker stories, I probably wouldn't give you that one at the top of my list. Simply because it's not something that I... It always, I, like, I love the idea of it, of, like, trying to prove the point about whether one bad day caused someone to snap. It just always felt to me... Like, that was more of something more appropriate for Two-Face than for Joker. I see Joker as more of, the, in terms of the psychotic stuff, doing more insane shit like Laughing Fish and that type of thing. So there's that on top of it. And so when going into this, I'm just like, okay, whatever. I think of the comic, still a good comic, whatever. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not one of my favorites. I'll check it out. So I watched it, and to me, like... I guess I'm just not a huge fan of Brian Azzarello with Batman. I specify with Batman. I haven't read like 100 Bullets or anything like that. I don't really like his Joker comic or First Wave. I tried that, and it just feels like with this one, it was a symptom of like, hey, uh, we got an R rating, so let's put in more sex in here, as well as like a severed hand in one shot and like headshots and things like that. It just seems to hit you over the head like, hey, this is an R rated like cartoon. It's hardcore, but like I didn't really think the first 30 minutes was really that necessary. It doesn't seem to tie in the rest of the story outside of it being Batman and Batgirl's relationship, which is like pretty much tossed to the side once they start actually adapting the Killing Joke comic. I thought if you're going to do a prologue with Barbara Gordon and Batgirl and everything like that, you should have them going after the Joker and then you know explore the three of them before Joker starts doing all this shit. So I just I just thought the first 30 minutes was pretty tedious. I did, however, enjoy the fact that it is Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. It's Mark Hamill getting to do you know, the Alan Moore uh, dialogue. He's getting to do the song. So I think the highlight of this is simply get the performances, being able to do that, and especially Mark Hamill finally being able to voice the Joker before he became the Joker. I think that was really something. If I There was only one downside is the fact that, like, Mark Hamill's like, what, 50-something or something like that? He sounds a lot older. Probably older, he, yeah. Yeah, he probably sounds a lot older than we would prefer, but hey, you know, it is it is 
what it is. And, you know, I thought he did his spectacular job as the pre-Joker. And so, like, for me, it was, uh, it was just all right, but it wasn't, like, the most enjoyable. It's not my favorite animated film, and I don't know if that's necessarily because I know the comic so well, because, like, it followed the comic pretty well, but then I remember, like, really enjoying The Dark Knight Returns adaptation, and that followed the comic pretty well, but without me feeling like, oh, yeah, this is the comic, I remember this part, I remember that part. This one kind of felt that way to me, where I'm just like, yeah, okay, next is the scene at the carnival, he's going to sing that song. Okay, now next is the part where Batman is going to talk to her in the hospital. Okay, like, it just seemed to, that's my problem with these adaptations whenever it's, like, exactly like the comic. Uh, when it got to that part, I'm like, okay, like, I know exactly what's going to happen. So all, and then the new stuff that was added, I wasn't a huge fan of it, with the exception of maybe um, the Oracle scene in the in the post credits I really I thought okay that's a cool addition it's kind of too bad you can't really have much time in the story to explore her transition becoming Oracle because like killing joke happens in like what like two days or so like it's it's not obviously not enough time to explore her transformation to become an Oracle but that was my take it wasn't uh, you know not my favorite of the uh, of the animated shows and I think they could have done a better job of it but it is what it is, and we got blessed to have Mark Hamill doing the Alan Moore dialogue. So that's my take on it. They said they're up for it again, too. They want to do uh, two other stories. I forget which ones, but they, like two other big ones. They said Hush and Death in the Family. And to me, those, right. are, those are weird, because like, I could see Kevin Conroy being like, hey, like Hush would be cool, but like Joker is in like one scene of Hush. Like, uh, okay, fine, like Hamill, you could probably do it, but like after doing Killing Joke, like this is... It just seems like a step down. And then, like, Death and the Family just seems repetitive to me because they already did the main thing of Death and the Family in the beginning of Under the Red Hood. So I'm like, what about uh, Long Halloween? I could see them do Long Halloween. Yeah. Uh, Long Halloween, Dark Victory. I could see them do, let's see, one that I really would want them to do, even though, like, it's kind of more obscure. Have you guys read uh, Going Sane? No. No. It is... It's really something else. It's kind of explores similar themes to Killing Joke, the fact that it is one that asks you to have some sympathy for the Joker, shows him in love with somebody, has some sort of like rape connotation type thing, is about their relationship. Uh, but essentially, the idea is Joker and Batman face off, and Batman is believed to be dead, and Joker ends up snapping into becoming sane. Really? And I, as a regular guy. But he has all these lapses where he's just like, wait a minute, like, that's, this isn't real, the real me. And obviously Batman's not dead. And so Batman just kind of has his own crisis of conscience where he's just like, I have to go up against this mania. Because this is like in the beginning of their careers. And like, I got to go up against this mania. I don't know, like, if I still want to keep doing this, why do I keep killing myself over, over all this? So, like, they're both, like, not sure whether to become. And then, as you guys could probably guess... They, they end up going back to their destinies, but they realize, like, okay, Bruce Wayne is like, I have to be Batman, and Joker realizes I have to be Joker. And it's just a really well-done version. It's just, I'm, I don't know, I feel like the Batman hipster, because, like, a lot of my favorite stories are ones that most people haven't read or heard of, but those, I, like, I appreciate good writing, so, like, that one's by uh, J.M. Dematius. You can get it on trade paperback, and it's also available on Comixology. And uh, it's, uh, I re highly recommend it. I'd love to see uh, that with Conroy and Hamill, myself. All right. Did anybody else see it? I did not. No. 
Uh, I'm surprised you didn't, Stefan. Actually, I thought maybe you, I, you I've been have. I've been meaning to catch up on all these DC animated films for a long time. I, there's, I still have to watch like all the Justice League ones and the new Batman ones that came out that were pretty good. I've seen mm-hmm. Under the Red Hood was probably the last one I saw. That one's uh, great. Uh, I think that's the best one. Being yeah, yeah, that's it was amazing. Yeah, um, but yeah, I haven't. I, I after hearing Ben talk about it, I, I want to or both of you guys talk, or the dialogues that have come up from just reading about it and stuff and like a lot of the criticisms and mm-hmm. like immediately I was kind of stung by the whole like him and Barba hooking up as part of the story and then yeah, I was like, oh, whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just read about a couple things and, and um, but, you know, thinking about Mark Hamill just coming back and then actually seeing a clip of Mark Hamill recently do one of the monologues from the uh from the killing joke was really cool so i had just kind of mixed reasons that i haven't seen it yet okay well i i I saw it and uh i I made this post right afterwards said it was one of the good or it's the good dc movie this year (laughs) not that i think it's the best movie of the best movie of the year or anything but compared to the other two dc movies (laughs) this is actually the better one not that i love it or anything but um i mean after taking time to really think about it more and more um yeah, that was kind of my opinion, but uh, the first 30 minutes are very much tacked on. I remember watching, I was like, was this in the comic? I, I know no. I read this one. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's really tacked on, and it's got like a stereotypical gay character and all that. <laughs> um, like they say in uh, Honest Trailers or whatever, stereotypical gay character from the 90s. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much on point, uh, but... Uh, <clears throat> Him hooking up with Barbara, I don't really care about that so much. That I mean, maybe it. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, what do you, what's it like? Makes her seem like less of a character, like more of like a, the stereotypical non-feminist woman or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of mincing words right now, but uh, anyway, mm-hmm. um, the actual Dark Knight parts until the end, I thought were pretty good, and. It's always interesting to see somebody that made a, a made a Joker origin story. Ben, had this been done before Alan Moore, by the way? Yeah, yeah. There was the well, the whole Red Hood thing was taken from the fifties. There was a whole story called oh. the man. Yeah, the man uh, behind the Red Hood or man under the Red Hood, and it was. It doesn't start the way you would think. It basically starts off with Batman and Robin teaching a whole class of students. And he's like, I, there's this one criminal I never caught who was well, never fully caught. He was the Red Hood, and he jumped in the chem- vat of chemicals and never found him again. I always wondered what happened to him. And then by the end, the reveal is Red Hood became Joker, or at least Joker oh. claims that he was the Red Hood. Okay. So that's, that was the very like very first one. And then I think Alan Moore is like, hey, here's my twist on like who was that guy who jumped in the vat of chemicals. Okay. So... <clears throat> Yeah, that was all good. My my main point was, I I kind of didn't like the way the ending was directed. Like when I read that comic, I, it just seems like really epic, even though the, it's just a joke and they're laughing. Mm-hmm. I get kind of like this sort of epic feel. Like, I don't know, like the way the the laughing should have been louder or something. The Joker laugh, and it's just like the camera pans down in the darkness. Yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like there should have been it should have like maybe cut to black, and then the laughter continues, and then suddenly stops, wait a beat, and then credits roll, something like that. Right. Never been and an animation director in my life. 
But <laughs> there was also they cut out the. I'm pretty sure at the end of the comic, there's sirens in the lights of the cop cars coming. Yeah, something I know what you're talking about. And then you see the lights go out, which signif- which ties into the light that he's talking about in the joke. And it's just like, well, you have the comic in front of you. You adapted pretty much everything nearly panel by panel. Why the hell didn't you do that? Yeah. It's right there. So, right, right, uh, right, right. I, I, I can see what you mean. Like, it didn't, until you brought it up, it wasn't really something that I, like, was on my list of things. Or, like, they could have done that better. But, like, now that you brought it up, I'm like, yeah, like, that's why, like, the ending to me wasn't... It's called, I mean, it's called The Killing Joke. Yeah. The joke finally comes at the end. Right. It's, like, kind of the crux of the whole thing. And then it's just, it ends so weakly, I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sort of imagine people who haven't read the graphic novel are going to watch this, and then they get to the end, and they're just like, oh, that that's it? Okay. And then, yeah. Like, they're not going to, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to have the impact that the it's, comic had on the it's funny to It's funny to, sorry to interrupt. Uh, but it's, funny to, it's funny to think how, like, Paul Dini, or to think that he strayed so far away from a lot of, you know, like, nuances of the comic book like that, being like such a um what's the word such a you know like staple icon of batman as a creator wait what with dini doing what i say it's it's just funny to see see how he, he strayed away so far from some of these nuances that you guys are talking about like in terms of being oh, well, translated from the comic i thought it was brian azarello who did the the script no i'm yeah but i mean just like in inter- but didn't uh Paul Dini head up the animation and directing of this. Uh, Am I wrong? I think Bruce Tim did might have done the production. I don't know. I don't think Dini's involved in this one. Oh, hold on, let me well, take a look. Well, they would have marketed that shit. I feel like I would have heard that already. That's what I thought. I feel like I saw him. Dini and Tim. That's a that's a marketing thing at this point, you know. Right. Yeah. Or I'm who am I? I'm thinking of the wrong dude. I think actually. you might be thinking of Bruce <laughs> Tim. But it's. I mean, it's it's well, with these comics. A lot of times, it feels like, oh, we're gonna stick true to it, and then something something happens. We're like, wait a minute, they didn't put the light at the end of the Killing Joke or something like that. And yeah, yeah Bruce think, Tim, my fault. Yeah, it's I th- I think either Bruce Tim or whoever I think Sam Liu was the director of it. Whoever probably didn't think that was important, or and they didn't realize what that right. meant. Like that's the only explanation I can think of as to why. Yeah, it's exactly. Gone. Yeah. Because I remember that being like, or or even knowing that Bruce Tim, or maybe I'm, sorry, I'm talking myself into a hole here. He didn't have anything to do with it. Damn, never mind. <laughs> oh, is Bruce Tim not listed either? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he had anything to do with the uh, film version. I thought he did, but my fault. Let me see. Well, he should have anyway. Well, I think Bruce Tim is the guy who subscribes to the idea that uh, Barbara and Bruce had a thing. Mm. So he could have been. Oh, he is listed as executive producer, but you know, oh, okay, that but could, yeah, right. You never know how how much power that person has. Uh, I mean, I've always, because of the fact I've always seen Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson as more of an item, and Dick Grayson is more Batman's son. Then it's just like, okay, so I can kind of like yeah. at most her being like his little his little sister. I I don't I've never really seen that relation going anywhere because it's not like Batman is short of love interests. You know, he's yeah, got Catwoman, yeah. Talia, all the civilians of Julie Madison. Good God, Bruce! Yeah. They're all, they're all a bunch of skanks. Yeah. <laughs> like no wonder they made you know Kate Kane a lesbian. Uh, I feel, uh, I feel bad for Tim Drake. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Tim. 
<laughs> but he seems to be doing it. He seems to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that Dark Knight Rises meme? It's like, uh, been cooped up for eight years in my house. First day out, <laughs> get laid. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dahlia. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's funny. Uh, speaking of the sex stuff, uh, apparently Joker goes to see prostitutes now. In... Was that was that added? I don't remember. Yeah, I, don't I thought think about that was that in the comic. Well. Again, that just feels like Azarello being like, "Oh, I've got an R-rated cartoon. Let's, let me adult this shit up." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, so, like, oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, he, it seems like yeah, he kind of ran away with things. I like Brian Azarello, but I've uh, you, I read his um, what was his Batman run with him and Eduardo Rizzo, the other guy from uh, Broken Bullets. City. Broken City, yeah. yeah. The setup and everything, like the, the same thing with Hunter Bullets, like the the scenes and like the concepts that Brian Azzarello introduces, like I feel like he does have a hard time kind of sewing things shut. Even the Joker, the the one he wrote after The Dark Knight, that kind of tied into the movie, mm-hmm. um, with that same like Heath Ledger style Joker. Even that one kind of like you know like uh, ended with a whimper. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's really where the where a lot of the because he he tends to like have a lot of metaphors and stuff that he latches onto, but are so subtle. Like, you know, if you read a hundred bullets, by the time you get to that, or you read Broken City, by the time you get to the end, you're like, wait, did I miss the joke? You know, it's just like, what did I miss here? That this is just over now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see now hearing a lot of the criticisms and stuff, and not Bruce Tim being involved the way I thought he was, and you know, I could see how it all spiraled into what it's become mm-hmm. now. It's just like with DC, it, you, you kind of expect more with their animation because their animation department has been like their good stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what most people agree on, it seems like, as well. So just to see this, it was it felt like kind of a misstep. Like, what is, what's DC doing now? Even their animation is not is kind of slipping? Mm-hmm. What's happening here? And also, right. like, they could have, like, they literally could have not spent the money and just made it like a 50 minute, maybe an hour, make it one hour animated. It's direct to video anyway, for the most part, except for that Fathom event shit. Yeah. Like, don't tack on anything. And then when people, when they're like, isn't it, sh-? they're like, that movie's kind of short. And they're like, well, that's the comic. You know, they, nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody would complain. But they tack on this extra 30 minutes. That's basically bullshit. Yeah. Uh, it makes no sense. And it's, I mean, you're, you're tacking something on to one of the, like the most beloved runs. Batman runs of all time, mm-hmm. you know, one of the top top ones. Like an Alan Moore run is like a big thing. Is you know, I don't know. It's yeah. yeah. It was a mistake on their part. But I, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about the the joke itself. So Ben, if you could just lay it down for me real quick. <laughs> the standard, the standard, like straightforward interpretation of the joke at the end. Well, he brings up there's two inmates at the asylum. One jumps over. The other's too afraid, and so he's like, all right, I'll shine the light, and you can walk over. And the other in mind's like, are you crazy? And the whole punchline is, like, the thing he doesn't believe is that he doesn't think his buddy's going to shine the light the whole way for him to get across. So in terms of what that means, I think everybody has sort of interpreted that to be Batman and Joker's relationship. Andrew and I had the discussion that both Batman and Joker kind of were at the same starting point if you buy into the fact that Joker was that failed comedian who lost his li- lost his wife. Then they both start with tragedy. So one jumps over to the other side. You can say that Joker jumps over into insanity. And Batman doesn't want to go that far. He doesn't want to kill or anything like that. And Joker's trying to tempt him and all that. And so it's all about the futility almost of 
their relationship and how they're both kind of crazy. Now, some people, I've also heard interpretation where they think Batman is the one who is on the other side, shining a light, and Joker is the one who's afraid to cross, cross over into like goodness or reason or anything like that. There's a lot of different takes mm-hmm. on it, but the whole idea is that by the end, I think, the reason why Batman laughs is it's about the... It's You could say that it's about uh, he either finds it funny or, more likely, he, he sees the the joke. He sees that, you know, it's kind of it's basically what Heath Ledger summed up in Dark Knight, where he's like, I think you and I are destined to do this forever. The the, um, the unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Yeah. It kind of relates to this, in a sense. Mm, nice. Yeah, like, also, when I first heard it, my, my initial reaction was... Like they're laughing because the whole premise itself is ludicrous because you can't walk on light anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> yeah, the, well, two, that, the two people involved in the joke are automatically insane anyway. Yeah, that's the surface that's the surface of uh, of that, yeah. Right. But obviously, you know, with it being Alan Moore, we're always gonna be looking into more of that. Right. So the general interpretation the that especially that you you talk with your with your other friends as well you said uh is they they're afraid like to batman's afraid to go into madness and joker wants to tempt him that's basically what this joke is kind of getting at right that's kind of what i how i have seen it i'm sure there's other interpretations too i think i've seen a few videos of like different takes on it which is you know that's the that's the beauty of alan moore even if he hates this story (laughs) But, he hates it now, of course. It's, he's, a, he's the artist that always hates his old work. Yeah. No. He said it was too. Uh, it's too much shock value, not enough substance, something like that. I can see why he thinks that, but I'm also like, come on, you're Alan Moore, and you brought this into comics with the shock value and all that stuff. You brought, you know, there's always some sort of rape or shocking death or something like that. In right. Stuff. But, you know, he's got only himself to blame. He's the one who wrote it. He doesn't like it. <laughs> Do you think Batman himself is laughing because he finally realizes that it's that everything actually is futile, or is it something else? It could be that, or he just laughs at that. It's because it, it is a moment where he is trying to be vulnerable with Joker, and he says, you right. know, "Hey, like, I don't want to kill you. I, we don't have to keep doing this. I could help you, sort of thing." So it's almost like he's continuing that. You could also go with Grant Morrison's interpretation, which I don't know if you guys have covered. Before. We have uh, very quickly, but uh, yeah, there's there's that one and one other interpretation, right? Can you, well, quickly, Grant Morrison first. Yeah, well, Grant Morrison's is that it's called the Killing Joke because the joke that he says at the end causes Batman to actually go insane, laugh, and him reaching over to Joker is him actually strangling the Joker and breaking his neck, which is why you see that Joker has stopped laughing by the end of the. Comic. Yeah, the ha ha ha's stop immediately from one panel to the next, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and even in the movie, it just ends with Batman's laugh or the Joker's laugh. So it's almost like they were trying to feed into that a little bit. So that's one interpretation. There was this other video that Andrew and I saw that was an interesting interpretation where it's more of Batman not really killing Joker, but he his attempt to kill Joker. In that, uh, I think I think he pointed out that there was there's a part where Joker nearly kills him with the uh, same that spike thing in his hand that he uses to kill the carnival owner. Uh, and he was sort of the the guy who came up with this theory was sort of pointing at different panels and being like, hey, like this is this could be a part where he like takes it from Joker 
and at the end he sort of tries to use that against against Joker at that time, realizing I have to put him down. And uh, that's a that's a possibility too. I think it's a little complicated personally, but it just goes to show that there's so many different takes on this ending. So wait, so so once again, real quick, you, you're saying that that, that like it would it actually that interpretation also has Batman killing the Joker. Uh, it's him attempting to kill the Joker, but not succeeding because the guy's whole crux of his theory is like I don't think he actually kills the Joker at the end because this is a story that's in continuity. It causes Barbara Gordon to become Oracle. And oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would think that Batman would have been like, hey, wait a minute, I thought I killed this guy. I th- you know what, when we're talking about incontinuity, I, I think that that's actually uh, kind of complicated, too, because I think yeah. that, like, I don't know, I don't, I haven't read everything about it, but I feel like Alan Moore probably didn't give a shit about continuity so much. I think he was, he might have been trying to write, like, an Elseworld story, you know, as, like, off as the story is. And it was like, it seemed like kind of a one-shot. And then DC was like, hey, we like that idea. Let's make a character that's for uh, kind of like a hero for the disabled. Let's keep this whole thing going. Except we're going to keep, of course, Joker alive. So I I could see DC just kind of like taking parts from this. Right. Well, I mean, it goes into whether or not you think that that was the intention. Because I think Alan... I don't know if Alan Moore's commented on it. I think Brian Boland has commented on it being deliberately ambiguous. I, I think the copy of the Killing Joe comic script is online. And you can see at the end it doesn't really have any hints about that. It just says that he Batman's like putting his hands on Joker's shoulders or something for support as he laughs. And that's about it. It doesn't say what Grant Morrison saw, which is like he saw Batman reaching to like grab his neck. I can see it being purposefully ambiguous. I mean, yeah. Alan Moore is kind of like, you know... One of the deep thinkers, I feel like, when it comes mm-hmm. to comic book writing. Not that he's the only one; it's a lot, but he's yeah. Got, I'm looking like, at it now. Layers. It's, they're both laughing, and yeah. yeah, it does look his arms are on his shoulders instead of his neck. It's an interesting interpretation, though. I, you know, I, I like the idea of like Alan Moore kind of getting tired with superheroes. It's just <laughs> my, it's just my uh, interpretation, but I think that maybe he was. He wanted to write like the ultimate Batman story. He wanted to write the ultimate Superman story with what's it called? Uh, for the man who has everything. Uh, he wrote, uh, yeah, for the man mm-hmm. who has everything, as well as uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Which that is his one. Version. That one is a hell of a Superman story. Yes, I, I have that one as well. Like he, it seemed like to me he he was trying to deconstruct him so much and kind of write the last one because of course they're going to go on forever, but almost like as a thought experiment. What would the last story be like? And then when he writes The Watchmen, which is like the ultimate deconstruction, I guess, of superheroes, and like what's like, I don't know if you call it the final, but like maybe in his eyes, like the ultimate superhero story. And maybe he wrote a little bit after that, but he was pretty much done with superheroes after Watchmen, am I right? I think so. So. Could be. I could be wrong about that, but I, I don't know. It seems like shortly after that he was probably finished, and yeah, uh, that's and and he wanted to kind of close out his his personal career with telling like these ultimate stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I get to, to me the ending of Killing Joke. Yeah, you could read in different ones. It's, it, it's interesting uh, in terms of like whether I like it or not. I'm kind of like, eh, like. If Batman doesn't kill Joker and he's just laughing, then it's just weird to me that Batman just starts laughing with Joker, especially considering all the shit that he just did in the story. If Batman actually tries to kill Joker, then to me, I'm kind of like, well, you're kind of just... 
you know, Alan, you kind of just did exactly what Frank Miller tried to do with Dark Knight Returns, except I think they did that better. So okay. That's, yeah, that's my take. Because, like, again, that's, that's a previous comic from, like, a year or two beforehand where they also have a confrontation in, the, in like, this carnival setting where there's, you know, a snapped neck involved, where there's, you know, them talking about, like, how long do we keep doing this? Like, it, it's if it's that, then I'm like, well, I feel like I already read that story then, personally. I think, I mean, ultimately, like, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, I feel like it's it's pretty good. I don't think it's the greatest thing ever. I mm. mean, personally, I think I like Coral Owls more than Killing Joke. Mm. That's just my personal opinion. But I do like the fact that Alan Moore, the way he wrote this ambiguously, it, it kind of, like, leads fans to these, like, decades-long <laughs> conversations. Like, that shit came out in, like, 86 or something. Uh, yeah, like 88 or so. But yeah. Something like that. It's been so long, like almost 30 years. So uh, that in and of itself is the mark of good writing, I guess, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, no, he was the master. Keeps fans on the toes and whatnot. Yeah. And I only say was because he had this whole retirement announcement this week. Oh, that's it's kinda, right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that... Uh, this all kind of happened. We already scheduled for this talk to be today, but kind of this kind of has all all happened around this time. Yeah, he keeps warning comic book fans to get off his lawn. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. He's got just. I mean, you can't just like the medium and then graduate from it. It's like he, you can graduate from it and still not be an asshole, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. It's kind of like okay, he's just a crazy old guy, just like you know, what Frank Miller seemed to have turned into. Yeah, all these guys, man. Grant Morrison's the nicest one, but he's he's still insane, but he's nice. He's at least nice insane, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, not cool. he's not in the news all the time, you know, all of us that we're, like, idiots for liking comics and shit like that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen several documentaries with him. Like, he's definitely into, like, magic with a K, just like Alan Moore. I don't know why it's a thing in comic book writer worlds, but anyway, he likes it. And he tries to put those ideas in everything. Mm -hmm. Like that multiverse thing DC had. Uh, yeah. What's that shit called? Multiversity? Multiversity, yeah. I thought that yeah. was like his Watchmen. Supposed to be his Watchmen. I mean, I haven't even had a chance to read it. I forgot that was even out yeah. until... One of the stories is actually based on like the original draft of Watchmen or some shit. Like, there's one part that's like that, but it also like... You know, it's that whole, like, he's in, like, pseudo-science, quantum mechanics, magic, he throws all these fucking ideas in there, and it makes for a fun story, but... He said one thing that I thought was really cool, where he said that, like... I think he was comparing himself to Alan Moore. He said, Alan Moore likes to put heroes in the most realistic setting possible. Mm -hmm. Whereas he, like, he wants the reader to go to the world of superheroes. You go to their world. You don't bring them to ours. Mm, yeah, I can definitely see that. Which is partly like you can kind of see that when you read that his famous Animal Man comic, where that Animal Man himself is talking to the reader. He's breaking the fourth wall, but in a more kind of in a more creative way than even you know Deadpool, Deadpool. does. Mm. Yeah, uh, this is way before Deadpool too. This is in the eighties, I think. Oh, nice. You ever you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I think I have that. I think. He's he's the type who's like okay, we because it's almost like there's two schools of thought. There's the whole you know you describe Alan Moore. I think Chris Nolan was like the biggest proponent of this. We're just like okay, like we take the comic book world, but we interpret it 
into a more realistic world to get people more on board. And then you have someone like Grant Morrison, or, and this is a similar take that I think Marvel tries to do, where it's just like, hey, this is comic book superheroes. You, we're going to present you the comic book world, and you're going to fucking love it. <laughs> Even down to, you know, talking trees and talking raccoons, or in, or in Grant Morrison's take, even with Batman, he had uh, the Batman of Zur and R came back. He had, he brought back Robin Dyson. He basically brought back all the weird shit from the 1950s. He loves the Batman weird stories. shit, man. He brought like all that. that and recontextualized it in his run. I think that's my favorite part of his actual like Batman run was that he like reinterpreted all the stuff that you kind of just ignored from the past. You're just like, oh yeah, like okay, that there was that one story where Batman was an isolation experiment, didn't mean anything. And Grant Morrison's like, yeah, well, I'm going to use that as a crux of my story, and that nameless doctor is going to be like my main supervillain for the whole right, thing. Right, and I'm right, like, right, right. All right, like that's pretty. I think that's pretty creative. I think it's pretty awesome, and it's it's something that I appreciate about his take. But uh, it's it's also. It's almost like the fan service of it is kind of why I like it a little more than the actual story itself. I do think... Did you catch um, his story, The Clown at Midnight? Well, no, I, I it's, didn't. It's Grant Morrison's Joker story, and he interprets that the whole reason why the Joker kind of went from like a gangster in the 1940s to like this prankster who didn't kill anybody in the 50s and 60s is that in his version of the Joker... Joker, like, is, quote-unquote, has the super insanity. He creates a different persona for himself. He reinvents himself mm. every few years. So, like, every different version is still him. It's just him, like, going through a different phase. So, like, beforehand it was his gangster phase, then his prankster phase where he didn't kill anybody. Then he had, like, you know, laughing fish phase. He had, he calls it carnival barker from hell phase, which is what they described the killing joke for. Like he, And so, Con at Midnight was his story where he like was giving birth to the next Joker phase. That's uh, interesting. So that was, I thought that was a really cool way to like reinterpret how the Joker has evolved over years. Because it's just easy to be like, oh, whoever, yeah, that's just the 50s, yeah. Whoever but, decided to cut, whoever decided to cut Joker's face off for the new 52 is a moron. <laughs> that was Scott Snyder, though, right? The hell, yeah. That was, was it? <laughs> He's usually good, though, man. Yeah. No, it was already yeah. cut off during the, the Batman R.I.P. Right. It was, yeah. it was cut off by the Dollmaker in, like, one of the stories in the New 52 in, like, mm. Detective Comics. Yeah. I'm wrong about that. But, yeah. That, it was, it was I think that years. Joker and the long-haired Rasta Joker from the Batman <laughs> animated have probably been the biggest missteps. <laughs> the biggest? Wow. That's yeah, maybe, lot, not the biggest, but some of the biggest. <laughs> to me, honestly, and this is back to Azrael. Oh, besides like, Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah, well, like yeah. to me, the the one that I the Joker that just did not rub me the right way was the the Brian Azarello graphic novel Joker. I just felt like okay, this is basically just a gangster dude who looks like the Heath Ledger Joker, and it just felt like yeah. everything that was thrown in there was just like hey, like this is the R-rated shit version of the Batman universe, you know. Riddler doesn't just have a cane, he's got a limp because he's like a drug dealer with like <laughs> tattoos and shit. I'm like, um, okay, you could go with that, but that's not really how I saw that going. And I just don't, I guess I don't enjoy a Joker who doesn't have some element of humor or some element of theatricality. Mm -hmm. I was kind of worried about that direction when I saw how Heath Ledger's Joker looked, and then when I saw the performance, I'm like, oh, he's fucking hilarious in certain 
you know, yeah, the see, pin disappearing or whatever. Yeah, like so, like I'm like, okay, that's that's why his take works so well is that you don't know when to laugh or when yeah. to be scared of him. And then when I read something <laughs> like the, the this gangster take in the Azarello one, I'm just like, okay, you're just another criminal dude who just yeah. has a scarred smile. Like it doesn't work for me. And I think the Jared Little take kind of took that personality as well. So it's it's not it's not one yeah. that I think is the Joker persona at all. But I mean, you could say that it was a little phase he went through. If you want to go with the Grant Morrison yeah. thing, but I think I think one thing I think the one thing that made Heath Ledger's Joker stand out. I mean, aside from all the other things, was um, the ability to separate himself from the other criminal elements uh, in uh, the city. Yeah. You know, no matter how outlandish, like he he's just that much more, or mm-hmm. or or stands on the outside of that, and everybody who had working for him. You know, they're all lunatics. You know, he only feels comfortable or confident in his work with when surrounded by lunatics, you know. That's and, true. Cause... And, and that's a good, you know, that's probably a, a pretty prominent element to what makes the Joker work. Because at this point, we've seen about an equal amount of Jokers that work and Jokers that don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think uh, what's, what's wonderful about that take on the movie is he's just such a force of nature through the whole yeah. thing. You really don't know when the hell is... Even, like, when you're rewatching it, you're just like, oh, shit, like, there's the Joker. Yeah. Like, he, he, he still has that effect. He, and, I, I, and I'm confident even even if Heath Ledger hadn't died beforehand, you still feel that. Yeah. I And what's... It's interesting that you brought up how, like, he's only really comfortable around, like, other lunatics because I remember that scene where he first appears with the mob, it's almost like he doesn't have confidence yet. He, like, kind of has ums and ahs and everything. And I'm like, that's a really interesting take on it. Uh, watch the scene again because it's almost it's it's ambiguous to me whether he like doesn't have confidence yet because he's not quite the joke he's not quite clown prince of crime yet or he's just faking it just to like appeal to them but he's really going to kill all of them inside if, if he's able to do it so it's it's still you know I wish he looked a little bit more like the classic novel character mm-hmm. in that movie but it's still he's still my favorite of the live action jokers yeah for sure he's gotta be man I mean yeah. when I was watching it like the first the bank high scene was obviously masterful but I when I when it got to the scene where he's like threatening the other criminals and the guys on the TV and all yeah. that that's the pin, real intro yeah yeah, yeah that's the yeah. real intro and it's and it I just felt like when, when I was watching uh, the uh, theater uh, uh, the first yeah. time you hear the laugh and everything yeah like, it was oh, like I, I am watching something special here yeah. like yeah. this is this one of the greatest things if not the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life the, my, like my, I love that too much I think that the part when he uh, when Batman's like let her go and he has her hanging out the window he's like poor choice of words you know like that yeah that to me was like the best like funny moment and then it, what really like made that I mean, aside from everything, the the moment that caught me the most of Heath Ledger's Joker that sold it the most was when he's just leaning out the fucking cop car with his hair blown mm. in the wind and stuff like that. Like he, like you cannot stop this like force, like that force of nature. Like you cannot. He his confidence is set within his insanity so deeply that you know he transcends kind of the reality that all these other characters have understood up until that point. You know, I mean, in shit. The setup yeah. too. The setup too with in Batman Begins, where it's like, you start wearing a cape and bring up the theatrics. Yeah. So so do the criminals. He left a card. I'll look into it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, shit. It, 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 it was comic booky, but it's still like. I don't but know. They're, I, they're I, giving like these reasons that still don't apply in the real world, like the theatrics right. and all that. 
but at least they're giving somewhat plausible reasons. That's that's what I think is is an overall in a lot of comic book movies. I think that is something that's missing. Like use your imagination to connect those dots. You know, like most of the time it'll probably sound really stupid, but some of the time you you know you could throw out just enough of well written like sciency jargon and dialogue yeah. in order to convince people like. I think that's one thing that's missing because what the Nolan Batman movies showed us is that you can set these characters in a realistic world, but the shelf life isn't for very long because of the outlandishness of some of these characters mm-hmm. or whatever. But in some ways, you know, it'd be nice to see them kind of tie those things together. And I think probably that's where they are now, actually. Like, hopefully with some of Justice League and hopefully with this new Batman movie that they're you know like we need some of that outlandish like bombast but you know like lie to us make it sound good make it sound you know what i mean Con- you know somewhat you know nolan I mean, even said himself that he said that you know this is these movies aren't 100 percent realistic it's a heightened state of realism yeah. and he pretty much accomplished that you know yeah. I, I mean the guy's a fucking genius he went to fucking yeah. oxford for, to study English first, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. this guy knows his shit, I mean, you don't write just, he wasn't writing just a guy that puts on clown makeup, like you guys saying, he was a fucking force of nature, you gotta yeah. go with that basic idea first, and how do you express yeah. that via this character? Well, and that's what makes it so good, is because it's it's strictly about the development of those characters, and then you you know it's like the the masks and the gadgets and the makeup and everything kind of comes second to how strongly those characters are are written or thought out or whatever. And I mean the same could be said for story and plot. And, and the whole like movies. like the lack the lack of uh, explanation for the Joker. There's a it's not like just lazy writing. There was a right. purpose for it. Like Bruce uh, Batman is like so logical, trying to find the reason, cause and effect for everything. Mm-hmm. But with this one, you know, it doesn't. There's no, there's no logic to it, so that affects him on that level as well. Like any time yeah. that the villain can affect the hero is very important, I think. Yeah. Um, any, anybody have any last r- remarks on this? No. Would you recommend the Killing Joke, t- the the animated feature, Ben? I would to someone who's a fan of Conroy and Hamill, and is a fan of the comic. I wouldn't recommend it to just a casual person. But you would recommend, like, Under the Red Hood or something to a I casual? Would yeah, I would recommend that more because I think for a casual viewer, just the idea of Robin died and came back like a bad guy, what the hell is this? Yeah. And I think that would be a shock to the system, but it's. I feel like that one was done in a way that is more accessible. I think, you know, my favorites are that one, uh, Dark Knight Returns, Part 1 and 2. And of course, Mask of the Phantasm is a classic. Yeah. Uh, what other ones do I like? I do enjoy some of the Justice League ones. I do love the Crisis on Two Earths. If anything, for James Woods as the voice of Owlman, that is fantastic. I think those are pretty much yeah. Those would pretty much be my recommendations. But yeah, so if you're a fan of Conroy and Hamill, want to hear Mark Hamill do Alan Moore dialogue, then perfect. Check this out. If you're a fan of the original comic. Good. But if you're just somebody who's just like, oh, I'm curious about like more of Batman's world and Joker's world, I'd say read the comic first. All right. Cool. Um, so we wanted to move on. Um, actually, we, you guys want to like wait on Maddie's music a little bit longer and talk about the uh, 
iPhone 7 and AirPods first. Actually, Johnson wanted to talk about this, but he, I'm just noticing now he's he's away from the computer. <laughs> um, Johnson had a lot to say about this yeah. one. Um, trying to get his ass to talk, too. Wait, what about real quick? What do we think of this? the kid who did that audition tape for Robin? Oh, oh yeah, that directly connects, so let's do that real quick. Uh, you're talking about this... What was the kid again? Ryan Potter. Yeah. From... Big Hero 6. He was the voice of the kid. Oh, yeah. He's he's uh, half Japanese or something? Mm. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just found that out, like, a couple hours before we started recording. Um, uh, real quick, I think it's cool. Um, I don't I don't know what the, his age... Is he supposed to be that young? Like, that, that kid's young as fuck, isn't he? I love I mean, him he's, like, he's 20. Yeah. Oh, he's 20? Shit. Okay, he's good then. I thought he was, like, 12. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, um, go ahead, do it. What do you guys think? No, I think he looked pretty good. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, for throwing something together, like the fight scene looked, you know, it seemed like they were emulating some kind of, like, the direction they were headed in Bat Batman versus Superman with that big Batman fight uh, where he's throwing all those motherfuckers around. Like, they did a good job of doing, like, incorporating, like, a lot of grappling and then, you know, your your roundhouses and... He had like a staff and stuff for a little bit. Like it was, yeah. it was very like, like, you know. He probably there's probably one guy out of that whole crew that was an actual martial artist to choreograph everything and help him out or whatever. But it seemed like super low budget. But I love when there's these like little grassroots kind of things where they're just like fucking pick me, pick me. Right. Uh, you know, because then it, Josh Hutchinson did it for Spider-Man right before the Amazing movies were being made, and it was just kind of cool. Like he would have been a good Spider-Man. To be honest, um, but you know it was cool to see that little audition tape and this thing. Like nowadays, it's it's you know like Ben Affleck saw that the second it got. Yeah, you know, it made released. the news. It made the news. Yeah, and 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 I mean, you know, why wouldn't he? But um, now, you know, things travel so fast. Information travels so fast. You know, it's like this day and age, you that fucking dude could probably end up being Robin, you know, like, it's not wholly out of the question that something like that would work or get the attention of the people producing the project. Right, especially because he's actual, like, he is a working actor, he's not like some unknown yeah. guy from LA just yeah. being like, hey, pick me, like, he actually has been in stuff. Yeah, and his physicality, you know, like, putting forth that the ability to at least create the image, you know, like, for like a few seconds there, I was like, damn, that would be pretty cool to see this kid, like, in a fucking you know, a cool, like, Tim Drake era Robin suit mm -hmm. throwing down. Um, I'm, I'm just really excited that, at the prospect of there being more, like, Bat family in this next battle. Oh, film. yeah. That would be great. How, I mean, how many Robins are, are they supposed to be to have, to have had at this point by the time of, like, Batman vs. Superman? Obviously, one's gone. Nightwing's around, so two, at I'd least. say at least two, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. it could be... This is the origin of Tim Drake. If we ever see Tim Drake, that's who no he's trying to uh, audition for, right? Is Tim right. Drake? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think he figures like, hey, that suit was Jason Todd's suit. So if there's a current Robin, it's not Dick Grayson or Jason Todd. It's probably Tim right. Drake. Right. Okay. Which you know, if it's Batman's been around for so long, it makes sense. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think. I think and it would make. Choice. And it would make a lot more sense for Nightwing to come into the fray a little bit later in the DCU. 
just having that gap there, you know, and like starting with Tim Drake for a more proper contemporary Robin. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, like one thing I do like, even though, you know, the whole Jason Todd thing in Batman versus Superman just seems like planted there. I yeah. do really like the idea of, of, you know, shining some light on stories that have yet to be told. You know, yeah. kind of like planting those seeds a little bit. So that was a little, that was pretty nice. And in terms of where they might go with Robin, however they might pick it, like, I feel like Dick Grayson had his day somewhat in the in the Joel Schumacher sequels and shit, you know, to a degree, like in the in the way that we think about our Jokers and our Batman. Right. I think um, to this day, too, you have like most of America, like, probably 99% not knowing that there have been several Robins. Yeah. Well, they yep. only know Robin by Robin, really. Like, ask yep. anybody who fucking... Oh, yeah, Dick Grayson. The they, don't know. They're yeah. not, they don't know Dick Grayson. It's Robin. Well, that's right. why, right. you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his real name wasn't revealed to be Dick Grayson or any of those guys. It was Just revealed to be Rob, Robin yeah. because yeah. that was the only way that, like, casual people were going to get it. Yeah. Right, so, right, right. I think he's. Uh, I think he's a solid choice, not just because of the reasons that were mentioned, but also because just imagine. Hey, this is our reimagining of Robin, and he's not another white dude. You know. Yeah, and, that would yeah, be cool. True coming, this is coming from an Asian guy myself. Where I'm just like, oh, I'd love to see. You know, <laughs> I'd love to see an Asian it, guy. It really, be. it really does. We're in an era now. Like, it really does benefit you. In, especially in comic book and action movies, which are the biggest movies right now, mm-hmm. to to uh, you know have that bit of um, what's the word diversity or that be multicultural and stuff like that because people are sick and tired of race coming in and out of every conversation, be it comic books or whatever. I think yeah. now just 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 you know all these films and comic book movies and stuff and and, and with Luke Cage coming out uh, soon and all the good buzz it's getting. Um, it's just it's interesting to see as a Latino guy. It's interesting to see where fucking these comic book movies are going because now it's yeah. like I think people realize that you know uh, uh, the uh, ethnicities or minorities or whatever got money now too. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> let's yeah. get it. Let's get it. <laughs> it's a big and reason also... that Suicide Squad was a success. It seems like as well. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, is no. really interesting for sure. I think with Tim Drake. He is already seen as this boy genius. He's already seen as this genius detective. So, like, if you're going to play into any stereotypical race for that, you know, not to toot my own horn for my own race, but, like, no, have, have him be an Asian guy. That'd be yeah. very interesting. That ties into already what's in the character. And I also think someone else brought this up. A friend of mine, Emma, brought this up to me, and she was like, hey, do you notice how every single Robin looks exactly the same? And they all look like young Bruce Wayne. They're all like oh, some white dude with right. black hair. Like, right. That's the, just the, those are just the little boys that Bruce likes. Yeah, they all look <laughs> like him. I'm like, okay, fine. Like I get like keep Dick Grayson you keep yeah. Dick Grayson that way just for the symbolism, just like okay, he was just like me. But then like remember like Jason Todd, when he first appeared, he didn't look at all like Dick Grayson. He had red hair. And then yeah. Grant Morrison like recontextualized that and said that Bruce made him dye his hair so that everyone would think he was the same Robin as the previous one. Are you serious? Cool. I yeah, did not know that. <laughs> yeah. There are certain yeah. there are certain things about Bruce Wayne's insanity that can't be overlooked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that being yeah. one of them. <laughs> that, that was Yeah, there's a scene where he's as the red hood and he's just like, you know, do you know why, you know, do you know why I had black hair during the time I was wrong? Is because Bruce made me do, you know, and I'm like, "Whoa, that's I don't know yeah. how I feel about that, but the the, the psychology yeah, behind it it's is insane. just like <laughs> 
Yeah. But like, hey, it makes I'm, you feel a little weird when you're wearing your own Batman costume. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'm down with the idea of like, hey, in this universe, you know, Dick Grayson looks like the way you thought he did, but Jason Todd might have been a redhead kid, Tim Drake's maybe an Asian kid, you know, stuff like that. I think you have this big opportunity now to have the Bat family, especially. I mean, hey, totally. Deathstroke. Deathstroke's going to be the villain. Fucking one of the villains, at least. And he was a Teen Titans villain. He didn't... Guess who he first cro- crossed up against? He didn't first cross up against Bruce Wayne. He crossed up against the Dick Grayson in Teen Titans. Night, his main Night nemesis. Wing, yeah. yeah, his main nemesis in the Teen Titans show, obviously, was Dick Grayson. But, like, hey, like, you could do all sorts of shit with... with so is, is, isn't... Uh, what's his face? What is his name? I just forgot it already. Slade... Uh, Deathstroke... Yeah, isn't he tied to the? Is he only tied to the League of Shadows through Arrow, or is that something that's prevalent? Uh, in the comic I don't think he was I even think tied. that's possible. I don't yeah. think he was even tied to the League in the show. He was tied to the. Oh, wasn't in, he? Uh, what was it? Son of Batman, that animated movie. They uh, had him be like, okay, "I'm the right. successor to Russell Gould," but like it, that was the only time that that's happened. Oh, okay, never mind then. There was a. Now this is like this is really silly, but there was a Lego Batman movie that's that had Slade and Bruce as like former students of uh, mm-hmm. the same master so like you could do that you could do I mean you know Arrow took a lot from Batman maybe Batman could take something from Arrow by having you know Slade be a former you know person that he used to know before he became Batman you could do that you could have you know he could just be an assassin from the old days who's come back just like in Arkham Origins stuff like that there's a whole yeah. variety of different things the exciting thing about Deathstroke is like so many people are going to be introduced to Deathstroke through this. Hmm. You know? Because it's like, it's not another Joker, another Catwoman, Penguin. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably see all of them at some point, but, like, here's here's a new element thrown in there, and hopefully they do, you know, a better job with him than they did with uh, KG Beast in Batman vs. Superman, because yeah. you would not be able to tell that that guy was a supervillain in the comics. <laughs> yeah, that was not done well at all, among other things. <laughs> was he in Batman vs. Superman? Yeah, he's the he's Anatoly. He's the guy who's threatening Martha with the flamethrower. Oh, he's that supposed was to be KG Beast. So, oh my God! But anyway, like, he could have just been named KG like Beast. he could have just been named Joe the Henchman, or he could have been Otis. <laughs> you can just call him the new Otis, the reimagined Otis, <laughs> super villain series. Otis. When, like he's the reimagined version of Ed Beatty. What's Sorry. the dude's name from like Death of Superman era? The the like fat side character he was like he had like a sailor hat on uh side character in batman comics or superman comics? yeah or probably superman and batman but he was like a dc era it was like after death of superman era character yes. i forget his name he was a superhero anyway or no he was just like a side character he just like <laughs> he said bibbo what the fuck was his name bibbo yeah was it bibbo right yeah the bartender Is he dude like, is he a bartender? I remember. Anyway, sorry. I don't know. The only reason I'm bringing this up is that I, that's like the era I got into like a lot of DC comics was after the death of Superman. Mm-hmm. And that character was like everywhere, the side character. So I've just been waiting to see him pop up in a movie somewhere and be like, oh shit, that's a fucking. I mean, but I of wish... course, I can't even remember his name, so he must not have been that. <laughs> his name they... is Bibbo. Bibbo, technically, okay, technically, Bibbo is in Superman Returns. But he's really? not at all. Okay. Looks... Yeah, yeah. That's the name of. Uh... Jack Larson, I think, the, the guy who was the original Jimmy Olsen, he has a cameo as a bartender and they gave him the name Bivo, but of course their oh. version of Bivo, Brian Singer's Bivo, is an 80-something year old dude 
behind a bar as opposed to like the tough guy from that you know from the comics and from the animated series that we're talking about. Okay. I do wish, I do wish they brought a lot more of the supporting cast like, of Superman yeah. into Man of Steel and, and I'm like okay, but instead no, we got to spend time with intern Jenny and Daily Planet or General Swanwick and stuff. I'm just like no, like you've got a whole rich Superman universe and you now you're yeah. just making sure. It up. seems like they use. It seems like they use a lot of those kind of superfluous characters in order to tell the story. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Which I'm also is so like, wrong, you know, because they just yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, why is it General Swanwick when Lois Lane has a general father in the movie yeah. in the comics? Like, that was such an easy thing, and instead they're just like, no, we're gonna do this. I'm like, okay, fine, you can do that, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's uh, like dealing with the X Men movies, just creating mutants out of nowhere. Where yeah. you have an entire like catalog. Of mutants for the past sixty yeah. odd years. I hate that shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got Darwin with a bunch of scenes, but no Gambit. Like fuck you, man. <laughs> we still have no Gambit movie. I know. Fuck that <laughs> shit. But yeah, we wanted to move on because I think uh, I want to hear Johnson. We haven't heard him in for for a while. Is it okay if we move on to Maddie's music real quick? Cool. Yeah. I gotta. Right. I gotta jump off. In a bit, okay. Guys. So I think uh, I think I'll sign off now that we've done with the Batman discussion. All right. Sorry to end it so abruptly, but uh, all right. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. See you guys later. Bye. See ya. Thanks for coming, dude. That was senior Batman correspondent Ben Yep, everybody. How do you fucking do a dinosaur's voice? (laughs) That's a I'm a brontosaurus. My neck is so long. (laughs) all right cowpokes you just listened to part one of two superhouse episode 28 tune in next time to figure out what that super secret code is on your decoder ring if you've not yet got your decoder ring it's in the mail Network.